you need to fall in love with customers problems so it basically like uh, you need to have a very deep empathy like as a product manager it's basically your job to find a root cause of the problem and not just directly jump on to any kind of solution like we need to avoid any kind of local maxima in order to achieve the global maxima hello everybody and welcome to the bricks and bytes podcast your go to for all things construction and property technology on today's podcast we have seattle based harsh badera Harsh started his journey as a Bachelor of Engineering and quickly realized that construction needs more technology and automation. His current role in Procore is Product Manager. In this episode, we dive deep into how lessons learned from the traditional construction world can be applied to automation and construction tech, why people get confused with product management, very interesting insights into customer journey, and many more. If you're enjoying our podcast, please check us out on Spotify, or Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And also, please leave us a review. This helps us get more amazing guests to give you guys the best and most informative content on technology and the built world. Before we get into this episode, shout out to our sponsor, Beta. If you want to connect with some of the largest players in the construction tech world, including tier one building contractors, some of the biggest construction tech companies, investors, and advisors, Check them out by visiting www.t-beta.com. That's www.t-h-e-b-e-t-a.com. You are listening to Bricks and Bytes Podcast, where we take you on a journey in construction, technology, and business. All right, let's get this episode started. So Harsh, give us a little bit of a walkthrough about your journey from project management to product management at Procore. Yeah, for sure. Like, thanks for having me, first of all. I come from a very construction background, like very much construction, typical construction background, did all the project management stuff. So the reason like, uh, or I'll share, you, share a little bit story behind like how I landed where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Since my childhood, I used to visit the job sites like my uncle owned a construction business so i used to go on the job sites with him and i remember like whenever we used to pass by any uh, structure he has this amazing sense of pride in his eyes and back in the days like he built one of the tallest commercial complex in my hometown so oh, wow i always looked up to him and wanted to be like him one day so <laughs> subconsciously i was like always inclined towards construction industry from my childhood very nice fast forward like um, after high school, I pursued my bachelor's degree in civil engineering and my degree was a 360 degree overview of everything related to construction. So I studied pretty much like construction management, structural, BIM, all that kind of stuff. So it was like an overview of what happens in every phase of construction. And then I actually started working in the industry. So I worked in the industry for several years as a project manager on luxury high-rise, a couple of commercial complex buildings. I actually briefly even touched on the heavy civil because that's what that's what like I was very much curious about as well. So while working all these years on the job sides, I was very much, you know, like hands down focused on execution and operations of the project. And I was constantly working on optimizing the processes, like uh, mm. something that is that keeps on repeating over over the period of time. I was looking for the ways to either automate it or uh, trying to reduce the friction, trying to reduce the 
optimize just trying to optimize as much as i could mm-hmm. and i felt that the value that i was delivering was very much limited to only those projects and not on a wider scale so i am kind of a person who looks for impact i am very much impact driven so i knew that i wanted to make a larger impact that would make lives of everyone in construction not just on that project that i'm working on but across the globe many projects so that's when i decided to uh, switch my gears switch into look around for options and got my masters degree so my masters degree was very much focused on implementation of tech in construction industry so ai ml in ac industry i got a wide exposure of how to build technologies in ac industry so that was the starting point i would say like i i deeply studied bim i deeply studied like how does a product development process works in ac industry like because that's kind of very much you know like there are a lot of similarities compared to other industry but there is like at, at the same time a lot more uh, differences that we need to dive deeper into but uh, so that's when my uh, journey began yep and after that like i joined katera uh, on their mission to hmm. solve the problems of construction industry and that's where my actual product management journey began so worked as a product manager for katera building a platform which was meant to uh, remove the inefficiencies in the construction industry like all the way from design manufacturing supply chain uh, all the way to construction and then later last year like i joined procore as a product manager and now i'm working as a product manager on document solution mm-hmm. which is like going to enable people to upload any kind of document on procore and have a single viewing experience across the platform Cool. We'll touch on that. I just wanted to ask a question about the your transition. Like you went from project management to product management, and you said your first job was uh, with Katera. Was there any like friction for them in hiring you as someone that was not a product manager? Like, this is your first job with construction background. Was it was it hard to make that switch, or was it the fact that you had the experience and the master's degree that helped you? I think it was a combination of both uh definitely it was not that straightforward because I had so product management when we think of it is like a combination of three things one is design engineering and business knowledge I had business knowledge and design because I was closely working already with the product managers trying to help them out from a customer point of view like how do you build a better product to serve the construction industry needs so I had some uh, design knowledge around that and definitely like in the background I did a bunch of different uh, side projects with mm-hmm. a couple of people okay. I found online so that's when I started learning uh, more and more about the app development about the web development kind of process mm-hmm. in the meanwhile while I was doing all that kind of stuff I interviewed with different teams within Katera like technology division so basically like uh, they really liked the fact that I bring in deep knowledge about construction because finding a product manager is very easy but finding a person from construction who wants to do product management is very difficult so yeah. that combination that unique combination actually gave me a leverage as well even at procore like because there are very few people people either come from construction directly and have no product background or people come from product background and have no construction experience like mm. but the combination of those two like is kind of a very unique skill that i think like uh, has always proven a very beneficial thing to me like definitely like uh, breaking into product was not that easy but at the same time having the strong business knowledge 
and doing some side projects, it made me realize. Yeah, definitely. It was a, yeah. was a big advantage. Correct. Yeah, because you have the, I think people want to see something tangible, like actually you've been able to prove yourself before taking the risk. Yes. Cool. What is even invisible in this story uh, that you uh, explained is that going from uh, construction management to product management and wanting to scale some solutions, you need to use software and coding to make it available and frictionless for lots of people. So how do you see uh, using software in construction evolving? And do you think it's important that technology, the construction is using more and more technology in terms of the software and code? 100%. So I am a very firm believer that technology can change any kind of industry. So the fact that technology is very pivotal to drive advancement in any kind of industry, like if you look around in the uh, manufacturing industry or any kind of industry around us, like the reason why these industries have become more profitable and productive is because of technology. So I think similar things apply on the construction side as well, that it has a huge potential to improve the way we work, to improve the productivity, to improve the you know, like uh, efficiency, reduce the fatality rate, like construction is one of the uh, industries which is like highly prone to job hazards. So with the help of technologies, like there are a bunch of companies who are doing that, like with the help of AI and ML, they are trying to reduce the job site uh, fatality rate. So that's kind of, I'm a firm believer that anything related to uh, saving anyone's life could be very, very big. And it cannot be done without a, without the use of technology. So and, but at the same time, like we have to acknowledge the fact that this industry is like uh, has been here for the longest time. Like it has been here for since the advancement of human being. So it can function without technology, but it cannot scale and it cannot be as efficient as it would be like without technology. So cool. And and moving on to the subject, we really want to uh, pick your brains for product management. So in terms of product management, for people that listen that might not understand exactly what product management is and in particular if you can relate this to the construction industry could you just uh, give an explanation on that product management is all about understanding your customer's problem like first of all understanding what their pain points is like how their processes work so it's not about the solution at all like that's where most people get confused with it's not at all about the solutioning piece like it's more about digging into the whys like uh, let's say what could seem on a very surface level, it could be seeming like a very straightforward problem. But in reality, once you start digging into the root cause of that, it's way different than what you would even imagine like at the start of your exploration. So it's not about the solutioning piece. It's more about finding the whys to the problem and trying to understand your customer's life, their journey. I think like having a deep empathy with the customer goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And that's where like uh, most people, I think that's what differentiates great product managers versus good project product managers so mm-hmm. having a deep empathy with your customers goes a long way and especially in the industry which is uh, construction like construction is entirely a uh, industry where like which is based on people like it's it surrounds around like everything revolves around people like nothing more than that so people need to be the center of any product development you need to have a great empathy with the field users you need to have empathy with the working conditions that they are going through, like they are going through rough seasons, they are working in tough conditions. So, and even like one thing I feel that anyone working on developing a product in this space should 
spend at least a week on the job site just to understand the mm. day-to-day operations like how does the field worker work like how does their life look like mm-hmm. because if not more like you will learn so much things just by interacting with them just so many things but just by observing them and when you return back to the office to build any product you will have much more clear sense of the problems that the user faces so it's kind of very important to think of the user like who whom you are serving another difference could be the industry operates in other industry operates in so much of controlled environment but uh, construction operates in an environment which is like open to a lot of external factors so there are a lot yeah. of factors that play a very crucial role when so when developing any kind of new product we need to account for th- those scenarios as well so mm-hmm. it's kind of like uh, not as straightforward as in other industry but you need to keep in mind that the conditions that people are working on the end user of your product uh, things like that do you see the future where construction offers more services to uh, directly to the consumer rather than b2b because my feeling is that currently everyone is working on B2B solutions. But in the end of the day, these B2B solutions are to transform some energy or manpower to B2C solutions. Yeah. So to B2C outcome, let's call it this way. So is technology in construction going to be focused on B2B or is it going to kind of shift to B2C at some point? So the products or services will be so easy to use so that the customer, the end customer can do with them themselves. I believe like it would be more of a B2B2C, like a business to business to customer rather than B2C. Mm-hmm. The reason why I'm saying that is like most of the projects that where construction happens, like it could be a building project, it could be a highway or whatever that is. Every kind of project, someone is building that. A GC is building that, an owner, like owner can have their own construction arm, but some kind of contractor, some kind of builder is working on that. It's like really very rare to find projects where Like it could be on a smaller level, right? Like a homeowner can, they can do a renovation on a very smaller level. But when you talk about the big projects, like it's really hard to find the one single customer of that project. Like it's basically a entity. It's basically a corporation who who is running that entire project or who is running the show. So I would say like it's more about B2B to see like a, a, a software that would serve the customer that is the company. But at the end of the day, like the customer, the actual customer is the users of those software. So it could be, if it is a field software, it could be uh, the workers, the foremen, the laborers, or if it is a office software, like any kind of pre-construction tools, so it could be the estimators or pre-con engineers and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I would say it's, it would be more of a B2B2C rather than B2C, particularly just be, because of the nature of industry. Yeah, and, and following on from that question, given the amount and even people we speak to and people we meet, it is such heavily biased towards the B2B market. Given the amount of solutions that are available, do you think there's a like a singular kind of source where all of these solutions can integrate so they're available to everyone? Or is it that you just have to go to a project and maybe pick like three of these tools you want to use for that particular project and then maybe switch it up for the next one? I don't know. How, how do you think it might look? Yeah, so... One of the challenges these days are like, there are so many point solutions out there like uh, that are solving different, different problems at uh, various stages of construction. So for example, join.build uh, that offers solution related to pre-construction or Urbant, that's like a company that offers solution for AI ML based uh, solution to reduce the safety hazards on the job site. So there are like a 
ton of different solutions out there which are trying to approach industry from different angle from different user persona from different uh, trying to solve different pain points but the re- the thing thing is like all these solutions are very much fragmented in nature mm-hmm. and it leads to the data leakage right so a tool within construction phase does not talk to a tool within pre construction phase and it loses all the mm-hmm. data that has been captured within the pre construction phase so the couple of places where this is happening for the most part is right now give in the current day scenario is like procor procor has a marketplace where uh, it is a platform where you can integrate various point solutions with procor platform but i believe there is still a big gap in the market to connect these point solutions together there is a startup called agave.api like uh, it's basically ah, yeah i saw that today funnily enough agave right yeah they are working on a unified api for construction and what that really means is like mm. in an ideal world i would imagine a company like either it is agave or something uh, different like basically they are enabling any two point solution to talk to each other and they don't have to necessarily come to mm-hmm. procor or autodesk or any kind that kind of player like basically like if you are a startup owner a com- of a company and you are a startup owner of b company like your tools can talk to each other this will basically enable the flow of data between any two companies and they will not have to wait to be connected via a third party so definitely i think like it's just a tip of the iceberg but uh, as more and more as we see more and more companies evolving in this space we definitely need some kind of connecting mechanism absolutely uh, uh, okay so maybe before we move to procor if you can just explain to us what creating a product mean to you and uh, is creating a product in construction different than in other industries creating a product is definitely uh, all about identifying a problem that our customers have like it's more about finding the root cause that leads to their pain point and have a deep empathy with them and build the product that would make their lives easier so it is a very much important to constantly get their feedback throughout the product life cycle phase like as you are doing all the ideation development post development like it's really important to gather as much feedback as possible on a continuous basis from the customer you need to fall in love with customers problem so yeah. basically like uh, you need to have a very deep empathy like as a, as a product manager it's not your job to it's it's basically your job to uh, find a root cause of the problem and not just directly jump on to any kind of solution like we need to avoid any kind of local maxima in order to achieve the global maxima mm-hmm. that's very good yeah <laughs> i think uh, we had we had a uh, eric on here in which he released his po- episode last week and he was mentioning he had a very strong word. I can't remember the word, but you almost have to be like fanatical, like like almost not psycho, but something like as strong as that about your customers' problems to want to try and solve them. And that makes also a very attractive proposition for um, venture capitalists and investors that are looking to buy a product. Like if you're obsessive with that problem, then they are like, okay, have some money. You can, um, <laughs> seems like you really want to, we really want to solve this. Is there like a, a, Harsh, you obviously, when you were training, you had like in your mind, a roadmap or, or something similar, like a process that you followed, like your product management process. Do you have you brought that into Procore? Do they have their own one? Is there any one you think is better than another, or how does that work with you? The normal product development uh, life cycle in any kind of software industry is kind of very much more or less same. So it starts with the ideation and research phase, where you try to come up with a problem, you try to interact with the user, try to understand their problem and get to the root cause then the second phase comes to the design phase so 
you you understand all the pain points you understand all the requirements from the users now you sit together with your design team trying to brainstorm the ideas trying to come up with a solution like not solution solution but kind of a rough outline of how that solution would look like so trying to come up with some mm-hmm. kind of wireframes trying to come up with some kind of prototypes that uh, that could be easily demonstrated to the user to constantly get their feedback so it starts with uh, ideation goes to design and once the designs are finalized like obviously it goes to a lot of iterations but once th- those are finalized like the next phase of the product development is all about implementation so that's when actual coding begins like you work uh, very closely with the software engineers trying to uh, break that big feature into small chunks which can be delivered in uh, what we say sprint cycle so each sprint is like of two mm-hmm. weeks basically we come up with the list of all the features that needs to be built in that sprint and so on and so forth so once that mm-hmm. implementation phase begins in the meanwhile you uh, actually start interacting with all the go to market teams and try to come up with formulate a plan on how do you even want to launch this product like how do you want to position this product into the market like what would be the what type of customers you are targeting what would be the pricing strategy all that kind of stuff and while this is going in in the parallel like uh, and the development has been completed like you will start testing the features like is it functioning as you intended to be like is it what customers would like is it like uh, if there is any unusual behavior like you need to try to fix that kind of behavior so it's kind of like uh, mm-hmm. doing all the testing and deployment and then finally like once everything is ready like uh, along with your go to market team like you launch that product into the market and on constant basis like uh, you get the feedback and iterate based on on that feedback and during the whole process like you have to do ruthless uh, prioritization throughout the journey like you cannot build all 100 features all at once like you need to start building 10 features at once and constantly get feedback from the customers that okay what is the 11th most important feature and then uh, come up with the next five features that that would be most important to the users so harsh what do you think is the most difficult in this process i would say prioritization like everything seems to be very <laughs> very much important at first but you need really need to like uh, dig through the thing that is it like absolutely a deal breaker like if if i don't have this feature is the customer not going to use the product if the answer is yes then that needs to be prioritized but if you think that maybe this could be this is really a great feature but maybe like a customer will not object using the product if we don't have that feature so that would be a, a good to have feature like we, what we say like must have versus good to have features does someone have like a uh do you have like a some a fine a person that has a final say on what features are priority or not cuz i can imagine if you think of a feature you become attached to that and your brain is like this is the best idea ever and then like one week later someone's like we're not building that feature and you're like what that's like you you lose all your passion and and excitement do you have someone that like controls that process not so it's kind of like uh, as a product manager like we operate a little bit independently but we definitely have a lot of stakeholders so by stakeholders mm. if i give you an example within procore we have these people call us uh, strategic product consultant and these are the people who come from industry having 20 25 years of experience in in the industry so these are our stakeholders so we interact on constant basis with those people and show them what we are thinking mm-hmm. involve them throughout the journey and if there is a like obviously like if there is a strong uh, no for objection then we need a proper reasoning like why is it a no like why can we 
like we cannot build it like everything that has to be built out it needs needs to go through mutual agreement between all the stakeholders with the product product team and more or less like uh, many times we know exactly what we need to build but at the at, at the same time like sometimes we try to be obsessed with the feature that we are building and we just fall in love and we we cannot basically see a wider view of how that that would impact other teams so yeah. that's when the rational thinking yeah that's when the stakeholders come into the picture and they they help us out okay guys we mentioned a few times procore so maybe it's a good time to tell us uh, what does procore actually do and where it currently stands and where it is going procore is a leading construction management software provider in the industry so it has been around for more than a 20 years and it touches like almost every aspect of construction projects life cycle so it offers solutions from all the way from building uh, estimating bim for pre construction then uh, pro- project management tools like rfis uh, observations inspections and all the way to financial management and labor management tools so it's basically like end to end user journey on any kind of construction project so that's what like procore does and it has been like uh, one of the leading uh, companies in usa and now uh, with plans to expand globally Mm-hmm. What's the future vision of it? What is there something that is going to change, or is there any particular area that you guys going into? Yeah, so I think like Procore's strength really lies in the data that a platform has collected over last several years, and I believe like now Procore is on a mission to be the data first company. I believe like there is a huge potential to analyze this data and drive the product roadmap. Mm. And this is like really very much evident that. all the construction workforce is like not all of them but majority of the construction workforce is over 50 years and in next coming few years they are going to retire so who is going to bridge that gap like the union robots <laughs> <laughs> so the way i see it is like it is going to be a combination of robots as well as human beings like obviously not not every human being can mm-hmm. cannot be uh, replaced but it's so the value that procore and procore bring brings to the table like we can leverage the data that the platform has collected over last several years and try to help the newer generation drive the drive the decisions like based on the historical data that their uh, managers or supervisors have have taken like the decisions that they have taken so i think like there is a tremendous amount of data opportunity and procore is tapping its eyes on that procore wants to be the data first company second is like uh, procore has a very strong is a very strong believer of network effects like uh, as a construction industry we cannot just operate in one silo we need to be like sharing our thought process we need to sh- be sharing our processes one with one another like not from a competitive standpoint but just for the industry point of view like just trying to grow as a industry together so procore has recently launched this thing called procore construction network which is like kind of like you can imagine facebook for construction professionals <laughs> wow they literally do everything procore is there anything procore doesn't do <laughs> i was very impressed i was chatting recently during networking with someone from procore i think he's oh it's tony he's, yeah he's responsible for uk um, and he he's mentioned that you guys have an like a app store kind of procore for procore that connects uh, all of the yep uh, applications yeah so that was very interesting like the direction that things go really yeah yeah tell us a little bit more harsh about the uh, construction network sounds interesting <laughs> basically like uh, it's kind of creating a facebook kind of place for construction people so imagine like 
a subcontractor, GC, owner's rep, a material vendor, supplier, everyone who is somewhere or other associated with construction, everyone has been brought to that platform. And everyone is like, uh, like have access to others' information, obviously, like based on what you share. So mm-hmm. imagine like I am a construction owners, like uh, I work as a representative. Now I have a project worth 100 million in Seattle. Now I just want to find out who would be the right general contractor. And I don't have any working relations with anyone else previously. So what I would do is like, I would just go on that uh, construction network and I would have different kind of filters, like uh, someone who has worked on projects over hundred million, someone who has worked on similar kind of projects that I am looking for uh, to build. So I can just filter out uh, the general contractors in the, in, in the area, like based on those attributes, those based on those factors. And, I can basically directly send the bid invites to people directly from the Procore Construction Network. And downstream effect, like uh, same thing, once a GC gets awarded the bid, basically they can find their subcontractors in the region, like Mm -hmm. based on similar kind of uh, attributes. So it's kind of like starting all the way to owner from GC to subcontractor, all the way to material vendors. Yeah, interesting. And just just like a kind of random question, really, but in the product or even the Procore world, is there any thoughts on gamification into any of these products to make people want to use them more and perhaps be rewarded for their input? Not that I know of. Like uh, that could be one of the potential options like in the BIM team, but I don't know if there's any. I'm pretty sure the reason there is none is that this is B2B most of the time because it wouldn't go well if it was B2C without any gamification because people want to be entertained when you use something, right? Yep, 100%. <laughs> you could make project management software fun. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. I guess if someone has the idea, it could it could probably work quite well. But yeah, I get what you're saying, Martin. It makes complete sense, yeah. People are just using it for probably because they have to, whereas B2C, you need to incentivize people. Yeah. On this platform that will search and filter contractors that you mentioned and gave an example. So currently it works that there is a word of mouth and uh, kind of people know other people who are able to deliver. That's how it works. So I'm actually interested if this word of mouth and trust is going to be replaced by, uh, because on the platform, everyone can put anything they want really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how this is there verified, maybe blo- that's where the blockchain is coming. So you can somehow verify on the immutable red ledger <laughs> that you did something or you did not. No, yeah, for sure. Like, so Procore definitely does the vetting. Like it has several steps of uh, several screening process, like basically like uh, via email, like you need to be a very authorized, like you need to have a company domain in, need, in in order to be on the platform. You need to register it with your mobile number. You need to have a couple of like companies data. Like it's basically like Procore does uh, some kind of sh- screening before even finalizing or before even publishing that kind of person like it doesn't matter if it is like a subcontractor or a vendor like but to your point like it's not definitely going to replace the word of mouth that's going to be there for a while but it really becomes very handy for a owner to enter any new market where they don't have any kind of relations with the existing relations with the subcontractor or general contractors like if i'm in seattle and if i have already built out dozens of projects in this area, then definitely I have working relations with them. But if I just want to go to London and I want to start my whole, whole like uh, construction journey in that, that area, like I definitely don't have any kind of working relations with anyone in that area. So that's where I think uh, the real values 
value of PC and clients. Yeah. Which is programmable. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm really, really keen. You mentioned it earlier, the fact that you used to work for Terra. And obviously, this is quite a uh, like popular pop subject in the construction tech world. And for people that don't know, and based on the research I've done quickly before this podcast, Katera, they're an offsite company founded by a former Tesla CEO, and they secured around $1.6 billion of funding, and at one point had 7,500 employees. And they shut down, I don't know, it was like three years after their full funding or something, their initial funding round, which is just bonkers. And obviously harsh. Maybe you were one of those people that got laid off. <laughs> what legacy and, and like, did you learn anything from your time at Katera and what kind of legacy did, did that leave in the industry? I would say like Katera was one kind of company where you can either love it or hate it, but you cannot ignore it, right? Like it has been, mm. it has that kind of presence. It had that kind of presence in back in the time. So uh, started in 2015 and wrapped up its operations in 2021. So that was like, around six to seven years of tenure, I believe like one one really great thing that Katera did was it tried to push the industry forward in the direction of modular construction, like modular housing. Before 2015, if you look around in the industry, like there were hard, anyone was hardly talking about uh, modular construction and, or any anything yeah. of that sort. So when Katera actually started digging into that and started to explore that pool market, it actually pushed the entire construction industry to actually start looking into that space. So if you look, Katera is is bankrupt now and has shut down its, its operations. But if you look at in the market right now, like all the big companies like Mortensen, or I'm just talking about the US market. So Mortensen or McCarthy or DPR, like every big general contractor in US has their own modular arm now. Like, And that's, I think, like, Katera has tried to accelerate that process. Like, I would not say that it's just because of Katera, it would have happened like sooner rather than later. But Katera tried to accelerate that process and it actually made people in the industry realize that that's also a way how construction industry can work. Obviously, like not mm -hmm. modularizing or not manufacturing each and everything, but there are some components that can be manufactured in the factory and be installed on the job site. And basically, it saves a lot of time, cost, money, it reduces the safety hazard and a lot of things. So I think the legacy that Katera left behind was pushing the industry in the direction which no one else was thinking of before Katera. Yeah, and I'm sure it's a very valuable lesson for the industry. And probably 10, 5, 10, 15 years from now, they would have succeeded, I'm sure. But probably it was too early, potentially, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if the right word is scapegoat, but they kind of like... Uh were the first company to go it big and everyone else then saw like the that there is potential for a bit of change in the industry and they kind of like were the catalyst for all of that change so. yeah i think like uh the reason why it did not succeed in the first place was the lack of execution like as you as you see the executive team like it came from manufacturing industry from tech industry where like all these industries operate in a very controlled environment like you can really control the productivity if you are building a car or any kind of that stuff like if you are building a car no matter how many cars you're building like uh, it, it could be 100 thousand 10 thousand the process remains the same and you are building exactly the same thing over and over and over so you can basically automate and control that entire process but in construction there no two construction projects are similar even if they seem to be similar mm -hmm. but the site conditions are different so no two projects are similar so it's really like uh, difficult to 
automate the entire end to end process like all at once you need to take baby step, baby steps like it's i say that it is a marathon not a sprint right like it's basically like you need to automate some part of the workflows yeah. try to figure out like how are customers reacting to it and then try to automate another part of the workflow and so on and so forth so it's basically like instead of shooting everything all at once just try to take that gradual steps uh, to in order to achieve that and i believe that's where katera actually uh, lagged uh, basically in the execution phase planning was great like it was amazing like everything in theory seemed to be really awesome that okay we are going to build uh, modular housing we are going to eliminate the waste mm-hmm. we are going to eliminate the middleman all that kind of stuff everything seems to be really amazing on paper but when it actually comes for the execution then it really has to be a slowly and steadily developed process like not a yeah uh, gradual one sure sure cool. it sounds like a it's a very um common thing that theme actually that comes up and a lot of people say the same thing with construction you have to go one two three four five you can't just go like one to ten you have to really take those steps and just like you say it's a marathon not a sprint cool so should we uh martin i know you you love a few air investor questions so harsh if it's something you you want to share then please do but i i just wanted to ask actually about this so you can explain the stealth startup if i'm pronouncing pronouncing it right So Stealth Startup is basically like a startup that has been operating under the hoods like it's not basically pub- they are not exposing any kind of information to any public out there because it's still very much in the early phase and there is a high risk that anyone can copy their idea or uh, share similar kind of things so there are many companies and in in software world like this is a very common trend that when a company starts and until it gets to a certain stage they try to remain in a stealth mode so that they don't have to share a ton of information out there with anyone like apart from their investors for sure but mm-hmm. yeah like uh, i have been always very much passionate about uh, startups and like for past several years like i have been following some really amazing vcs and startup co-founders and trying to just observe their journey and learn from that that has been something that has been very exciting to me for sure like so uh, recently like i started investing in one of the i i invested in one of the startups like it is a construction technology startups that is using robotics to solve construction problems like cannot share too much details there but like it's basically like uh, a startup uh, founded in india and trying to solve some really amazing problems around construction layout and flooring and all that kind of stuff so with the help of robotics so i have invested like some money along with a couple of more angel investors along, uh, on the side by but Yeah like uh, that's my first investment journey like that's my first investment as a startup and I am very much looking forward Yeah we're, we're looking forward to Harsh Padera VC <laughs> in the future Thank you. Yeah <laughs> Padera adventures or something like that I love that <laughs> So maybe like if you can just conclude this subject how is the economic climate in the US at this moment in terms of investment in startups or in general not only in startups if you can say anything about it i think like definitely there there's a lot of turmoil going on in the market and it's not i would say as best time as it was like a couple of years ago or even earlier this year uh, where startups were getting a lot of funding a lot of traction and they were getting valued at such a high valuation that it did not even make sense at that point of time mm-hmm. what is happening right now is i believe still the legitimate uh, startups are getting funding the rate of funding has not not 
uh, reduced. But what has affect, what has been affected by this market is like basically the valuation at which these companies tried to raise the funds previously. It has tried to like it was inflated previously, and now it is kind of trying to balance it out. So I would say uh, still like a lot of money is flowing in the startup world. But the, at at the right valuation, not at the inflated valuation. Mm. So it's a good time to invest, really, if someone has yep, one hundred percent as they call it. Yeah, more due diligence, more concentration. Yep, sounds, sounds seems to be the recurring theme. Okay, harsh. So um, we haven't asked this question for a while, so very interesting to hear people's responses on this. But if you had an unlimited budget to invest <laughs> in any emerging business or technology or trend. Well, apart from the one you have already invested in, what would you spend it on and why? <laughs> That's an amazing question. I think in construction, one of the biggest piece of construction is the workforce. Like uh, people are, I'm a strong believer of people, like everything revolves around people. Mm-hmm. So I believe like uh, right now we are very much short staffed, like of skilled labors, like construction is struggling to have skilled labor of like any kind. And I think like this problem is going to, uh, grew up eventually with time. And I think like there's a strong need of uh, something around getting more skilled labor, something around like how do we even solve that problem? I know that a few companies are coming out as a robotics platform and trying to offer a solution which could help in some sense, but it's really not a, a replaceable thing, right? Like you, you still need human, mm-hmm. you still need people to work on the job site. So it's basically like, uh, I would say I would work on something which is like trying to create a platform where I can bring in more people, more skilled people, skilled labor. And yeah, uh, I think uh, humans being humans and we will always want to be more efficient. So robots will become, will be doing the most more risky, more tiring, more difficult works. And humans will be pushed to make sure that everything is super efficient. Excellent. Okay, Harsh, we appreciate the conversation. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Bricks and Bytes podcast. If you are enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it, and we'll catch you in the next episode.